0: Section 13 of G. K. Chesterton's Newspaper Columns, The New Witness, 1921. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. G. K. Chesterton's Newspaper Columns, The New Witness, 1921 by G. K. Chesterton. Section 13 at the sign of the world's end the case for the englishman i have already noted the commonplace that in order to teach internationalism we must talk nationalism we must make the nations as nations less odious or mysterious to each other we do not make men love each other by describing a monster with a million arms and legs but by describing men as men with their separate and even solitary emotions as this has a particular application to the emotions of the Englishman, I will return to the topic once more. Now, Americans have a power that is the soul and success of democracy, the power of spontaneous social organization. Their high spirits, their humane ideals, are really creative. They abound in unofficial institutions. We might almost say in unofficial officialism, nobody who has felt the presence of all the leagues and guilds and college clubs will deny that whitman was national when he said he would build states and cities out of the love of comrades when all this communal enthusiasm collides with the englishman it too often seems to literally leave him cold they say he is reserved they possibly think he is rude and the englishman having been taught his own history all wrong is only too likely to take the criticism as a compliment he admits that he is reserved because he is stern and strong or even that he is rude because he is shrewd and candid but as a fact he is not rude and not especially reserved at least reserved is not the meaning of his reluctance the real difference lies i think in the fact that american high spirits are not only high but level that the hilarious american spirit is like a plateau and the humorous english spirit is like a rugged mountain-range the englishman is moody which does not in the least mean that the englishman is morose dickens as we all feel in reading his books was boisterously english dickens was moody when he wrote oliver twist but he was also moody when he wrote pickwick that is he was in another and much healthier mood the mood was normal to him in the sense that nine times out of ten he felt and wrote in that humorous and hilarious mood but he was if ever there was one a man of moods and all the more of a typical englishman for being a man of moods but it was because of this almost entirely that he had a misunderstanding with america in america there are no moods or there is only one mood it is the same whether it is called hustle or uplift whether we regard it as the heroic love of comrades or the last hysteria of the herd instinct it has been said of the typical english aristocrats of the government offices that they resemble certain ornamental fountains and play from ten to four and it is true that an englishman even an english aristocrat is not always inclined to play any more than to work but American sociability is not like the Trafalgar fountains. It is like Niagara. It never stops under the silent stars or the rolling storms. There seems always to be the same human heat and pressure behind it. It is like the central heating of hotels, as explained in the advertisements and announcements. The temperature can be regulated, but it is not and it is always rather overpowering for an englishman whose mood changes like his own mutable and shifting sky the english mood is very like the english weather it is a nuisance and a national necessity if any one wishes to understand the quarrel between dickens and the americans let him turn to that chapter in martin chuzzlewit in which young martin has to receive endless defiles and deputations of total strangers each announced by name and demanding formal salutation there are several things to be noticed about this incident to begin with it did not happen to martin chuzzlewit but it did happen to charles dickens dickens is incorporating almost with alteration a passage from a diary in the middle of a story as he did when he included the admirable account of the prison petition of john dickens as the prison petition of Wilkins micawber there is no particular reason why even the gregarious americans should so throng the portals of a perfectly obscure steerage passenger like young chuzzlewit there was every reason why they should throng the portals of the author of pickwick and oliver twist and no doubt they did if i may be permitted the aleatory image you bet they did similar troops of sociable human beings have visited much more insignificant english travellers in america with some of whom i am myself acquainted i myself have the luck to be a little more stodgy and less sensitive than many of my countrymen and certainly less sensitive than dickens but i know what it was that annoyed him about that unending and unchanging stream of american visitors it was the unending and unchanging stream of American sociability and high spirits. A people living on such a lofty but level tableland do not understand the ups and downs of the English temperament, the temper of a nation of eccentrics or, as they used to be called, of humorists. There is something very national in the very name of the old play of quote, every man in his humor, unquote, but the play more often acted in real life is, quote, every man out of his humor, end quote. It is true, as Matthew Arnold said, that an Englishman wants to do as he likes, but it is not always true even that he likes what he has to do. An Englishman can be friendly and yet not feel friendly, or he can be friendly and yet not feel hospitable or he can feel hospitable and yet not welcome those whom he really loves he can think almost with tears of tenderness about people at a distance who would be bores if they came in at the door american sociability sweeps away any such subtlety it cannot be expected to understand the paradox or perversity of the englishman who thus can feel friendly and avoid friends that it is the truth in the suggestion that dickens was sentimental it means that he probably felt most sociable when he was solitary in all these attempts to describe the indescribable to indicate the real but unconscious difference between the two peoples i have tried to balance my words without the irrelevant bias of praise and blame both characteristics always cut both ways on one side this comradeship makes possible a certain communal courage, a democratic derision of rich men in high places, that is not easy in our smaller and more satisfied society. On the other hand, the Englishman has certainly more liberty, if less equality and fraternity. But the richest compensation of the Englishman is not even in the word liberty, but rather in the word poetry. The humour of escape or seclusion, that genial isolation, that healing of wounded friendship by what Christian science would call absent treatment, that is the best atmosphere of all for the creation of great poetry, and out of that came, quote, bare-ruined choirs where late the sweet birds sang, end quote, and, quote, thou wast not made for death immortal bird, end quote. In this sense it is indeed true that poetry is emotion remembered in tranquillity which may be extended to mean affection remembered in loneliness there is in it a spirit not only of detachment but even of distance a spirit which does not desire as in the old english rhyme to be not only over the hills but also far away in other words in so far as it is true that the englishman is an exception to the great truth of aristotle it is because he is not so near to aristotle as he is to homer in so far as he is not by nature a political animal it is because he is a poetical animal we see in it his relations to the other animals his quaint and almost illogical love of dogs and horses and dependents whose political rights cannot possibly be defined in logic. Many forms of hunting or fishing are but an excuse for the same thing which the shameless literary man does without any excuse. Sport is speechless poetry. It would be easy for a foreigner, by taking a few liberties with the facts, to make a satire about the sort of silent Shelley who decides ultimately to shoot the skylark it would be easy to answer these poetic suggestions by saying that he himself might be responsible for ruining the choirs where late the sweet bird sang or that the immortal bird was likely to be mortal when he was out with his gun but these international satires are never just and the real relations of an englishman and an english bird are far more delicate it would be equally easy and equally unjust to suggest a similar satire against american democracy and represent americans merely as birds of a feather who can do nothing but flock together but this would leave out the fact that at least it is not the white feather that democracy is capable of defiance and of death for an idea touching the souls of great nations these criticisms are generally false because they are critical but when we are quite sure that we rejoice in a nation's strength, then and not before, we are justified in judging its weakness. I am quite sure that I rejoice in any democratic success without arrière pensée, and nobody who knows me will credit me with a covert sneer at civic equality. And this being granted, I do think there is a danger in the gregariousness of American society the danger of democracy is not anarchy on the contrary it is convention and it is touching this that all my experience has increased my conviction that a great deal that is called female emancipation has merely been the increase of female convention now the males of every community are far too conventional it was the females who were individual and criticized the conventions of the tribe if the females became conventional also there is a danger of individuality being lost this indeed is not peculiar to america it is common to the whole modern industrial world and to everything which substitutes the impersonal atmosphere of the state for the personal atmosphere of the home but it is emphasized in america by the curious contradiction that americans do in theory value and even venerate the individual but individualism is the enemy of individuality where men are trying to compete with each other they are trying to copy each other they become almost impersonal in their worship of a personality personality in becoming a conscious ideal becomes a common ideal in this respect perhaps there is really something to be learnt from the Englishman, with his turn or twist in the direction of private life. Those who have travelled in such a fashion as to see all the American hotels and none of the American houses are sometimes driven to the excess of saying that the Americans have no private life. But even if the exaggeration has a hint of truth, we must balance it with the corresponding truth, that the english have no public life they on their side have still to learn the meaning of the public thing the republic and how great are the dangers of cowardice and corruption when the very state itself has become a state secret end of section thirteen